Welcome to the Mother Forkin' Podcast. Mother Podcast. Where we feed you some real shit on parenting. Hi, Celeste. Hey, Megan. How's it How going? Good. <laughs> Busy at work with this new job. Yes, congratulations. You have a new job. Yeah. Have not been able to really come up for some air yet, but I'm loving it. Um, And then a lot of our audience should know by now that we love to read and we've gotten several authors on here and we do buddy reads, which is, you know, we pick up the same book, read it for the month. And then at the end of the month or whenever we decide, we'll go ahead and discuss it. Um, so recently we did that with this book called the push by Ashley O'Drain. And it is a, it's her debut novel and it's a New York time bestseller. Excuse me. It's a psychological drama, which I love psychological, anything thrillers, dramas, whatever. Um, but yeah, but this book, it is, I love it. I just, I love it. Anyway, definitely one of our top favorites that like everybody should be reading. Yeah. And it's about the making and breaking of a family. So really honing in on, on motherhood and, uh, the relationship or maybe not really a relationship, uh, with your kids. And it's just, jaw-dropping, mind-blowing, but kind of, at least in the beginning of the book, relatable for me. But anyway, uh, so it's about a woman whose experience of motherhood is nothing at all what she hoped or planned for, um, and actually everything that she feared. So it's been chosen as one of the featured books for Book of the Month subscription. That's actually how I got my copy, Uh, Good Morning America Book Club, and then other accolades along the way. So the author, Ashley, she previously worked as the publicity director of Penguin Books in Canada. That's where she's located. So prior to Penguin, she worked in public relations. She's a graduate of the media information and technoculture program at Western University. And she lives in Toronto. I love Toronto, such a cool place, uh, where she and her partner are raising their two young children. And like I said, The Push is her first novel, which to me is also mind blowing because it's just a very well written book. Right, it is so amazing, and we have her here with us today. Yes, guys. welcome, Ashley. Welcome, Hi. Ashley. Hi, guys. Thank you for that nice introduction. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. We're, we are thrilled to have you. We've been looking forward to this. Seriously, oh, thank you. Your your book almost doesn't even read fictional because it's mm. just so intense. And not only was it uh, full of suspense, but the power, the powerful reality of postpartum that you talk about, uh, that women actually experience is like in the book. So mm-hmm. as mothers, Megan and I, we were instantly like, dude, this book, it, <laughs> the uncomfortable parts of it, um, such as the loneliness, the anxiety, the paranoia, and even the disconnection of uh, the partner in, in the book, mm-hmm. and even with the connection of her child. So I want to ask, what led you to writing a thriller around the focus of the dark side of motherhood? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting, I, you know, looking back, you know, I always had a real obsession with motherhood, you know, in a way, like long before I was ready to become a mother myself. But and that obsession was not that I, you know, thought that I would be a mother or wanted to be a mother or, you know, had this idealistic view of it. It was actually quite the opposite. I, I was always just so 
you know, curious about what that experience was like and how it changes a person, how it changes a woman's identity, how it changes life. And also I think like, you know, I was very much surrounded by these, you know, picture perfect <laughs> examples of mothers, like including my own and my aunts and, you know, my parents, friends and whatnot. And I, I feel I was, oh, al- I always was like, what is the other side of this? Mm. Like this, is, I, I always knew, you know, even as a teenager, like this is not, exactly how it looks like that was always very apparent to me and what is the other side of that like what are these women not saying (laughs) you know what is what are the bad parts of it because I just really didn't think that I was going to be able to relate to that feeling of wanting children or feeling maternal Um, and I was always kind of drawn to sort of stories like you know books and movies and that sort of thing about the darker side of motherhood Mm -hmm. and then I think and then when I you know became a mother myself um, you know I really experience kind of firsthand that huge difference, you know, between how people tell you it should be and how people tell you it's going to be and what it's really like. And it was just fascinating to me that, you know, looking around, I had kids, you know, I was 32 and I had my first and all my friends were having their kids. And I remember just looking around thinking like, there's so much that we are not saying here Mm. that we are all feeling, you know, and it was so obvious to me. And so I think that that's why I think I wanted to explore that through fiction. I mean, fiction to me, you know, was always the, was, was the perfect place, you know, to explore mm-hmm. that further and just really exploring the fears and the darkness of motherhood on the page. Um, and so that's, I think really, you know, where the story came from. I love it. And I'm so glad you did this. Um, this is actually a huge reason why Celeste and I started this podcast a little over two years ago is because we became mothers and we're like, dude, did you know about any of this? Did you know about postpartum blues, depression, anxiety? Like, did you? And right. she was like, no, not until I really I experienced it. Our friendship kind of started. Um, I met you right when you just found out you were pregnant. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was yeah. kind of like what started our closeness in our relation, in our friendship as well. So yeah, cool yeah. that we bonded over that. So thank you for writing such a good book that opens oh. up this conversation. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. And I would love to know, based on what you just said for you, what does it mean to be a mother? And then the other side, what does it mean to be a woman? Mm-hmm. Such a good question, because, you know, I think that, you know, in society, we've made such a close connection, you know, between womanhood and motherhood. And you know, almost to the point where, you know, it, we're, sort, we're sort of taught, I think, even as young girls, or even from, you know, the very beginning, that that is something that's going to feel natural to us, and that it's something that should come very instinctual, and it's something that we should want. You know, and for me, I think for a long time, you know, womanhood and motherhood were very different. You know, they, I saw myself as, you know, a very, like, very in touch with who I was as a woman, but I didn't, you know, think that motherhood was going to be for me. So I, I think for me, it's been interesting to kind of explore that, that identity, like the difference in those identities and where they meet and where they don't, you know? And I think in terms of like, you know, what being a mother really means to me, I think, you know, for me, it was really a bit of a reckoning, like a reckoning with myself about who I really was, you know, mother, mm-hmm. like motherhood really made me face that. And I think that, you know, I sort of felt like I really understood myself before and I did on a certain level, but I think once I, there's something about motherhood, I don't know if you've experienced this too, but there is, for me, there was something about motherhood that really makes you take, you know, a very hard look at who you are, who you want to be in the world. Like, how do you want to show up in this world every day? What really matters to you? 
like it, it almost yeah. is this, it's almost like it sort of strips everything away from you in this, in this weird way and sort of makes you really decide what you're going to fight for and cling for, like cling to, and you know, what parts of yourself you really want to prioritize. At least it, yeah. it really did for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had an interesting experience where, you know, I'd always kind of wanted to be a writer and I'd always, you know, been writing on weekends and nights and that sort of thing. But I didn't pursue writing in this way, like writing a novel until my son was six months old. And so for me, there was, a, there is now this huge connection between how I feel as a writer, like my identity as a writer and my identity as a mother, like they are just, they will always be intertwined for me, I think because of that timing, but also because of this book and what I'm writing about and what I'm interested in writing about. 100%. So, yeah, I, yeah, you know, I feel like I women think, are already badasses and then you enter motherhood and you're like, holy crap, like I'm even more badass than I ever imagined myself to be. So that's really cool. <laughs> I will say, and I don't know if this is the postpartum anxiety talking, I felt very like, well, A, alone. Okay. But B, I just felt like I was like, who, who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose? I don't know. And, and you're right. Like it, it motherhood does help you find that because eventually I, I feel like I hit this really low, low place. And I was like, I just need to do something. I need to be creative. I need to, you know, and, and I think that's actually a huge reason why I reached out to Celeste and I was like, mm-hmm. let's do this podcast, you know, just so I could feel not alone. Like, all right, I've got you. We can have this band of women out there too. And, and fathers, you know, if, if whatever fatherhood stuff that they go through. Yeah. So, but that's that's so interesting because I think what you're saying too, is just that um, like you're touching on that creativity associated with being a mother and, Mm -hmm. and being a new mother and that, and I, I can really relate to that. And I've heard women kind of say that it's almost, I mean, it sounds really kind of, you know, cliche to say, but like, you know, you are creating life, you are creating this new, world you know as a mother and for your child and and I found that to really contribute more to like my creative energy and like this podcast is a creative product you know yeah. it is your it is your creativity so yeah I really understand that Thank of you. wanting Very to kind of keep creating and feeling sparked that way yeah so now I'm curious what do you think comes first being a woman or mother being a mother hmm yeah, I think it's a tough one. I, at you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's a really good question. I think it's, I mean, I mean, on a personal level, like, what, what do I feel like? What do I sort of prioritize or what comes first for me is, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it changes. I would love to say that, you know, me as a woman comes first because I, because I, you know, I know that we know, we all know, mothers know, everyone knows that like, if you are taking care of yourself, if you are flourishing, if you're fulfilled, if you're satisfied, if you are doing things that bring you joy, all of those things, you, there's no question. Everybody knows you're a better mother. Like you are, Mm -hmm. you are better at what, at mothering and that. And I think that that's how we, how I would love to operate on a daily basis. But I think that the reality is I find myself struggling when I don't do that and when I can't do that. And you can't yeah. always, right? We know because we are all mothers. Like you know, you go through those periods where, um, you know, I am my, I am not my best self when I am putting mother first all the mm-hmm. time. Sometimes it feels good to put mother first, but sometimes it doesn't, you know. And it, and and yet we can kind of feel selfish or we can feel, you know, the guilt when we get to that. I mean, I I feel like yeah, I I am very conscious of that I think on a daily basis of who I am putting first and where those things intersect and what's most important 
Um, I do ask Ashley, how old are your kids? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, and you that it makes a huge difference too. So yeah, because I feel like does it yeah. get easier? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Okay. So they are they're they're still. I mean, I'm out of the baby stage, but their needs are so high still, you know. And it's like even now, I've been thinking about going away for a few days to write, like to work on my next book, and I'm like like just to like you know up north like just to the cottage yeah. country and it's like I'm I'm having this debate with myself like how many nights can I be away like I don't yeah. know I don't know yet you know it's just it, you're still kind of go I'm still figuring that out with them um but how old are your kids you can go first uh, my Adrian is four and a half uh soon to be five he will he will tell you that oh, yeah. and then Briggs just turned three so about okay, about so similar we're, ages. We're about the same. Yeah. yeah. So I have a three-year-old and an almost two-year-old. So 18 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're still, yeah, you're, you're really still. Yeah. I mean, so I, that, I do feel like the older ones give, you know, you, there's a glimmer of hope. With, like, the <laughs> right? there, but so the needs change much, a bit, but you're still mm-hmm. constantly having to, you know, just give. By the help. way, can we, since we all have three-year-olds here, can we just yeah. agree that threes <laughs> suck more than twos? Ugh. Right, it's definitely more chatty. Like, dude, cut me some slide. Give me a minute, mom, mom. And the whining, like, why? Why? I think that that's the thing. I think three is the whining stage because they know they're they're like starting to get a little more manipulative. They kind of understand that they can get what they want if they're. I I totally agree. I mean, it's it's why they're wildly entertaining at three, but but more frustrating. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) you nailed it. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's so awesome. Well, yeah. let's talk about the book a little bit more. Um, I know that Megan had a question about um, the husband relationship. Yeah, he really pissed me off. <laughs> oh, God, I just wanted to reach into the book and be like, dude, really? I, I just I really wanted to slap And him. we didn't see that coming because he was all sweet and cute. Yeah. And then I was, well. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. anyway. <laughs> so I got annoyed with Blythe is, is the mom, um, her husband Fox. So I feel like he constantly put his daughter first mm-hmm. and I was not a fan of the daughter either, but anyway, um, yeah, so we got to talk that, about the daughter Violet too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's her, she's her own therapy session. She's Holy cow. <laughs> like, Oh, I have feelings about her, but anyway. Um, so, so when it comes to a husband and a wife in my, how I grew up too, like my parents always put each other first because without Mm. them, we wouldn't, my sister and I wouldn't be here. And so that's sort of how I feel too. But with Blythe, he always put the daughter first. So why did you do it that way? And, and who do you think in real life, who do you think should come first? Yeah. I, Fox is unbelievably frustrating. I know. And, 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 you know, by the end, it is very difficult to find any redeeming quality in him as a, you know, person, but also as just, you know, a mother or sorry, a father or, um, or a husband for sure. Worse. (laughs) He does. He gets worse and worse. And, you know, actually the funny thing is in er, an earlier, in, several earlier drafts of this he was even worse and my editors were sort of like whoa whoa we gotta like me and I was like okay I I get it um but yeah so I you know I think you're right that I think he is an example of yeah absolutely of putting his daughter you know before his partner and and we see you know the complete breakdown in this family as a result and I think 
you know, it's funny because in some of these, you know, book club conversations and conversations about the book with people, I mean, there are, there are people that actually, you know, do see that as a bit of a redeeming quality in a way, in a sense that, you know, I think taking it back to, you know, the very fundamentals is would you do anything you could, would you do anything possible to protect your child, you know, and, in, and that's sort of in a way what Fox sees himself as doing, he, he sort of sees himself as I will, you know, sacrifice everything, including this marriage, to protect this daughter from, you know, the labels that his wife is putting on the daughter, you know, he, he has a certain idea that his daughter um, is a good person, and that there is nothing wrong with this little girl, and his wife feels very differently, his wife thinks there is something, you know, psychologically very wrong with her. And so in a way, I mean, you can kind of see that sort of that primal instinct of, you know, choosing your child in this scenario over your partner, maybe it's, it's not what I would do or what I would ever hope, but a kind of relationship I would hope to be in. But I think that's the other side of it. Yeah. Of course, what that, this, you know, the consequence of that is he gaslights his wife. I mean, he treats mm -hmm. Blythe terribly in a sense that he does not want to hear her truth. Blythe's truth about their family and about her daughter and the kind of girl she is and what she is capable of is so hugely inconvenient to her husband. His name is Fox, right? It's hugely inconvenient to Fox that he can't, I mean, he he basically tells her this is all in your head. There is there is nothing valid about what you're saying. Ooh. And we see, yeah, and we and we see how, you know, what that does to her mental state. It puts yeah. her in a terribly lonely, isolated, dangerous place, you know, to be told that what you believe is not true and especially what you believe about your daughter who you gave birth to you know you are like we know that maternal you know bond that we have with our children or that instinct we have about our kids um and so yeah they they go to a very dangerous place and so i think you know for sure i totally agree with you that um a family you know in most cases is, is going to be better off if we're putting our relationships first both as an, just an example to our children and the health of our household and the, you know all of the things we know i think it is easier said than done for a lot of people because of that because when sort of what you both expect from each other um you know begins to drift away um you know I, I think he he really what his priority was is painting this picture of the family that he always wanted you know and Blythe could not give him that because of mm -hmm. what she believed about their daughter so yeah, yeah. and the that. thing is too is like she sorry real real no, quick good. Point. she spent more time with her than yes Fox did and he was never really home to witness all this so yeah, yeah it's just it's frustrating that he just hung on to the daughter's every word not that she really spoke too much to him but meaning like mm -hmm. oh just discounted dismissed everything that she that that Blythe was saying to him I was gonna say that just added to um the reason why Violet was who she was as well, because children see yes. that they're like, mm -hmm. oh, this yes. parent is the one that's always going to be picking me up and having my back. And then it just it just added to the the crazy dynamic of the family. And I thought it was very interesting how um, so she ends up having two kids with um, him. And mm -hmm. the first kid is Violet, this not so sweet little girl that we're talking about. And then um, she just from the beginning, I thought it was very cool and interesting how you you gave both different scenarios of like the, the different relationship in the children that she had. And so even from like the birth, the birthing scenes, which were incredible, by the way, very vivid, very like, oh, oh my gosh, you. it took us back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. I want to, I wanted to ask you, were any of those, any of your personal experiences or like, was it just um, maybe research you did for the building up of the character? 
Yeah, good question. You know, they weren't really, I mean, they were, I definitely pulled from my memory of having given birth twice, you know, to, to write those scenes, although they were, diff those births were, I think, different um, than mine. But I think I really wanted to write birth scenes. I really, I, we don't really read or watch a lot of accurate birth scenes. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, you know, there's probably a lot of reason for that and not everyone wants to go there, but I was really interested in capturing, um, you know, what those distinct moments that kind of stay with us about the birth, you know, feel like. And you're right, she has two very different experiences with birth. I mean, she, in both cases, she gives birth vaginally. Um, but, but she has just a different, you know, emotional experience of what those are both like. Um, and yeah, I, I really just wanted to kind of go there. I wanted to kind of get into some of the nitty gritty emotion of what that moment feels like. Um, that was just interesting to me. And I think I'll, I, I've always been kind of, you know, interested in what I mean, that experience I was here is like for, for women. Because it, it opens up that, like, again, that discussion of like, um, there's no normal way to feel after baby. Yes. Like she was yes. so disconnected, um, with, uh, Violet, her first child. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a complete opposite when she has her son, Sam. And so I thought that was cool because again, we're not, we're not, we don't talk enough about um, birth and then people have this like imagery of like, Oh, give me my baby. And we're just so one. I mean, I remember kind of even thinking when I first met my son, I'm like, I, this is the first time you're meeting a whole new being and you're yeah. expected to just be like love at first sight. I mean, it is, but it's not like, it, it doesn't click exactly in that way because you're exactly you go home and you're still finding out this little individual, this human being figuring out how to do things. So I love that you gave both sides to that. Oh, thanks. And, you know, it, it can be a very overwhelming experience and being overwhelmed with emotion is not always an enjoyable experience, you know, and I think that we, we sort of show, I, I think in, in typical portrayals of that birth, of birth, you know, we show the overwhelm of emotion, but it's always very positive and euphoric and, um, and it's not always like, like sometimes, you know, birth can be traumatic, birth can be scary, birth can be confusing, oh, yeah. you know, all of those things. Um, and so, yeah, that, that certainly is her experience the first time. And then, and then, as you said, kind of, she has this more of the experience that she was hoping for, she was expecting, you know, the second time. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so have you had people approach you and, and tell you, oh, it's going to be fun. Like when you were going through those moments and maybe you still are going through, you know, moments that it's like, ah, it's not going to be fine. But have you had people maybe close to you in your life, um, relatives, something friends tell you, oh no, it's going to be okay. You know, you're going to get through this, like trying to yeah. almost paint a pretty picture for you yeah, especially or... when we're doubting ourselves as mothers yeah yes definitely how do you yeah, react you know, to that well it's so funny like I mean I never had postpartum depression but I but I definitely went through tough days like so many of us did and and in my case you know my son he was born when, when he was born we thought he was perfectly healthy and I had a very normal pregnancy and but when he was two weeks old he became extremely ill um, and he had sepsis and just terrible infection and we didn't know what was wrong with him. And, you know, he was um, admitted to the children's hospital here in Toronto where we, you know, lived for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end with him trying to figure out what was wrong. And then he had a diagnosis of um, a chronic illness and like had a host of other problems that kept us at the hospital. I mean, for many, for much of his, I would say first year wow. back and forth admissions and all of that. And that, so that was an, you know, 
incredibly difficult, challenging time just dealing with a child with an illness, with a chronic illness that you know is not going to get, you know, there's no cure. There's no, he's not just going to get better. He's going to live with this, you know, essentially yeah. for the rest of his life. And so that there, there were a lot of people in that period of my life that, and of course it comes from the most well-meaning place, um, but to, yeah, to, to really convince you that, you know, oh, it's going to get better and things will get better. And I think that, and, and, you know, I find myself doing that with people too, even though I sort of, you know, know how it feels, but I think that we sort of with motherhood and challenge, I think, especially at the beginning, we sort of, as women, I think we have this instinct to just want to try to coach other women through it and not to really, like, we, we really just want to tell people, yes, it's going to get better and, you know, all of it. And I think it's this, it's just this, it's almost like this urge we have that it's hard to fight, you know, you yeah. want to help each other get through it. So I, I get where it comes from. Um, but I remember when I was in that moment, I really wanted, that's not what I wanted to hear. And so I, I can imagine that women who are in postpartum and other, you know, comparable situations where you're just in a really tough period, you don't always want to hear it's going to get better because it, it almost, you want someone to really acknowledge the moment that you were in right then, you know, and really validate how you are feeling and how hard it is. And it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't help to hear that it's going to get better because you, because yeah. I know that, you know, when I was in the hospital with my son, like I felt like I was the only mother for whom it was not going to get better. <laughs> like yeah. I really had to convince myself that. What yeah. were some of the things that helped you? Like, as far as like, like you said, that's not what you wanted. What did you want at the time? I, you know, I really think it's the validation and the acknowledgement of how hard it can be. It's almost the, like, you know, the, the, the empathetic response of like, mm -hmm. I see how hard this is for you. You know, I see how difficult this is. I see how dark this is, period. You know, yeah. not, not, but it's going to get better. And, right. I, you know, it, it's almost like you just kind of want that sort of acknowledgement. And, and, and honestly, like, I think maybe this is just an individual thing, but I sort of wanted somebody to like, to say, like, I almost would have felt better if someone was like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to get better, you know, yeah. which sounds, which sounds kind of extreme. But it's but realistic almost, though. Mm -hmm. it's realistic and, you know? and it's almost like that's that's more validating in a yeah. way than telling somebody don't worry it's going to get better you know yeah. so yeah I think I you know but everyone's different and everyone looks for something different when they're in those kind of challenging moments and you know these early hard moments of motherhood I mean I know Blythe says that this is you know very much my experience that Blythe that this particular thing that Blythe says in the book where she does feel like the only mother who is not going to you know, for whom it's not going to get better and who's mm. not going to, ha and, and I remember when my son was sick, feeling like, well, I'm the only mother who's not going to be able to handle a sick, chi a sick child. Like yeah. I am the one mother that, that can't do this, you know, even though of course I can and I am and we're thriving and we're happy. And so, yeah, I think that, I think the acknowledgement of that is really powerful for women. Mm -hmm. I love that advice. Yeah. So sorry, Celeste, mm. I thought you were going to no, no, no. say something. Um, so going back to Violet and how tough of a child she is, um, how would you handle that situation if you were in Blythe's shoes? Yeah, well, I think. And maybe, know, I don't know if it helps, sorry. I don't know if it helps no. to sort of paint the picture of, or the character of. Yeah, for for our audience, it matter. But yeah. again, I don't want to, you know, give too She's many spoilers or anything. Like self-destructive little girl, um, you know, causing a scene, giving her mom a really hard time throughout the entire book, and and like we were talking about, she kind of leans on to her dad for like, mm. daddy's got my back type of little girl. So exactly that's kind of who she is. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And fr from the very beginning. 
um, you know, even from when she's a baby, Blythe looks at her and she feels like something is different about her. Yeah. She feels like there is something wrong with her. And then, you know, she is very aloof and she's unattached and she's very challenging in ways that Blythe can't see other children being, you know, challenging in her particular way. Mm -hmm. um, and then as she goes to preschool and she gets a bit older and is interacting with other children, she begins to act quite maliciously towards other children. And there are instances where, you know, Blythe sees her acting malicious and she can't quite, it, it's almost like she's in denial of what has happened or she can't decide if she saw what she saw. Mm. So as the reader, you know, we, we get this impression that we don't really know how much is in, how much is Blythe's maternal anxiety speaking. Like she, mm -hmm. she has this history of women who have struggled so greatly with motherhood that we don't really know if it's that that is creating this in her head or if Violet is indeed you know, as challenging and, you know, capable of unthinkable things, you know, as she is. And so, so she's, so th I think that's terrifying. I mean, I, I really think, I, I think part of why I wanted to write through this is because I don't know, you know, to answer your question, I don't know what I would do. And yeah. I think that's what's so scary is that, you know, I think when we enter parenthood, I think especially motherhood, we sort of convince ourselves going in that we are going to have a child who is good, we are going to have a child who is a functioning, contributing member of society. We are going to love, but also like our children. You know, they yeah. are going to be, and we, and we have to kind of tell ourselves that or else we wouldn't do, we wouldn't do it. You know, right. if, we, if we thought about what the alternative was, it would be too scary, you know, to become a parent. And I think we sort of convince ourselves that we have so much control over who these children are. You know, and I think having such young kids like we do, I think we probably still convince ourselves of that, you know, and then we start to see their personalities emerging and you start to question like, okay, how much influence do I really have over this, you know, small human, um, which again, three kind of really, just <laughs> three kind of can yeah. really challenge you on that. Um, and, you know, there are people who will tell mothers with multiple children, you know, who will tell you that that is certainly the case that you don't have control, that they have treated every child the same with the same experience and the same kind of love and they turn out to be wildly different people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of where this idea of Violet came from. Like what happens if you have a child who you don't like? What happens if they are not somebody you could, for they do something you can't forgive? Like all of these big questions that would break your heart and also terrify you. And so I think that that's the, situ that's the relationship really between Blythe and Violet. Um, that I that yeah just the dynamic that I wanted to explore so I don't know I don't know what I would do I think I was really writing through that fear of what yeah. that would be like you know I do want to say like with all that being said and even um, just again the dark side of motherhood we do like uh, Megan mentioned we did this book for a buddy read and many mm -hmm. of the girls there aren't mothers and mm -hmm. so it was interesting chatting with them and their perspective but they were like this is exactly why we don't want to yes. have kids and stuff like that um, and what would you say to audience, you know, to them, to those yeah, readers? Yeah, it's fine. I've, I've heard from a lot of women who have said that to me, who have said, you know, I don't have children and I've been on the fence about whether I want it or not, or I've definitely decided not to have children. And this book validates exactly why. <laughs> That's exactly what we've said, we've heard uh, being said. Yeah, yeah. And I get that. I mean, it is certainly not, you know, my intention with the book, but I, I completely get that. I think that, I think two things, I think, um, one is that, um, you know, I, I never, I, re I really never thought that I wanted children. I, I, I growing up, you know, even in my, like, you know, definitely my teens, but certainly all through my twenties would have said, 
I didn't want children. I wasn't interested. I didn't feel that maternal bond. I didn't think I'd have that instinct. I just wasn't interested. I wasn't like a kid person that like enjoyed babysitting and enjoyed mm-hmm. playing with kids. I'd like, that Same. just wasn't who I was. Yep. And I feel like I could have had a very happy life, you yep. know, without having children. And so it was, but you know, then we just, my partner and I did decide to, to do it. And I, and I am so happy that we did. I, I do love being a mother. I mean, I really love it. Um, so there, so there's that, like, I get it, I get coming from that place. Um, but also, the, I mean, this is an extreme example, of course, of, yeah. you know, w- of those fears. I think what the book really is, is just an exploration of fear, right? An exploration of the fears that we tie up in motherhood. And I think a lot of the things in this book are seeds of doubt or seeds of worry that we've all had at some point, they are fleeting, you know, they might be a quick second thought, and then you convince yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think I've given all of that to Blythe to live and unfairly, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but I get Made that. For a great book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, totally. it is fiction after all. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, something else that I kind of wanted to dive into, because um, this book kind of opens up and talks about um, multi-generational uh, mm. like it's a multi-generational story with uh, the the going back and forth of her mother's experience or her experience as a child so I want to know why uh, you didn't have any of the mother-daughter relationships between the generations um, get help for their broken relationships was that something to do with women not being seen or believed and then it kind of just continued that way yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think, I think there are two answers to that question. And I think the first is, is that, um, you know, I think, I think plot wise, it, it sort of just makes for a better story. This is a silly answer, but it sort of makes for a better story for them not to have sought help. Because I think that if you go the route of them seeking help and getting the therapy, as a writer, I think you either need to show your readers exactly what that was like and go deep into that. Um, or you're skimming over it, you know? And so it sort of felt, because I, I did think about that as I was writing, but I, I think it sort of felt like there wasn't the proper place to do that help justice or that whatever that intervention justice, what that would have looked like. So the so that's a very, you know, surface would just, you know, that's a bit of a logistics answer in terms of it would have made it, that would have made the plot and the story harder. But I think the real, you know, further to the point and more to the heart of the story is that these women, I think, I think both did not feel um, empowered enough to seek the help that they needed. And I think that that's very, very true to reality in a lot of Mm. women's cases. I mean, I think when we look at the previous generations, I mean, they didn't have the means, they didn't have the resources, they, they were women who didn't have any money, you know, they didn't have any autonomy. And and it would have been, you know, in those times, very difficult to get the help they needed. Um, in a way that wasn't attached with a heavy, heavy stigma, or, you know, there was a lot of limiting factors there. And in Blythe's case, you know, which is present day, um, you know, I think for her, I mean, she does, she goes to the doctor that in the one scene, she does go to her doctor. And she's, and, you know, she sort of brings up some concerns about her, you know, the state of things and how difficult it is. And her doctor gives her a questionnaire to fill out to kind of assess, does she have postpartum depression? And she sort of just checks, you know, the boxes, but, but, and she answers them quite honestly. And the doctor just takes a look at that sheet and is kind of like, they sort of just move on, you know, and she's not really taken seriously. And I think that that was a bit of a turning point for her. I mean, I think that if she had have had a doctor who really dug deeper into how this woman was feeling, you know, maybe there could have been a different path for her in that instance. But, but also, I think, you know, she is in a marriage, like we've talked about, 
where she she very much realizes that the future of her marriage, you know, rests on the fact that, you know, if, if she wants this marriage and this relationship to work and her family to go ahead, then she needs to just suck it up and get on board and move along. That is the message that she's getting. She, she's getting a very distinct message from her husband about the kind of mother he wants for his daughter. And he very much feels owed that, right? He feels owed a certain mother for his daughter and his for his family to look a certain way. Mm. And, I, and I think that she knows that were she to take Violet to a psychiatrist, which is probably what we would all do, you know, right. to answer your other question, what would you yeah. do if you had a daughter like that? I mean, you would seek professional help. Yeah. For her to seek professional help would have ruffled the feathers of the family so much. I think she knew there would be no coming back from that, you know, mm. and Fox would never have have seen that as being valid. And she, and yeah, so I think it is exactly what you said. It comes down to her not being believed, you know, her truth not being seen and her truth just being so inconvenient yeah. um, that she didn't feel empowered. But, but yeah. it's funny because Fox did all those things. He ruffled the feathers of the family and like, you know, and I'm not going to say anything more because mm. those are spoilers, but just have to read the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so without saying more about the book, I'm curious cause I, I need more from you. <laughs> I need I another that book. was the next question. So what, what are your future book plans? Yeah. No, thanks for asking. Yeah. So, um, so my future book plans, so I'm working on a second novel now. Um, and it covers, a lot of the same themes as the push. I, I think I will always be drawn to writing about motherhood and marriage and the complexities of women, the layers of women, the, um, you know, how just, just, I, I love complex women. I, I, I will always, I think, want to write about that. And so it touches on, you know, as I said, kind of motherhood and marriage, but it's told from multiple points of view um, and it has a different, you know, a shorter timeline. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really enjoying writing about it. It has a title actually, it's called The Whispers. Um, I don't, I don't have a date yet for when it'll be out, but yeah, but it's, I, I hope it'll satisfy people who love the push. I, I hope that this will satisfy them in the same way. Um, and that it's sort of that emotional suspense. Yeah. Oh, so enjoying, can't wait. Enjoying working yeah, we'll on it. Thank you. Sure. So we're oh, excited thanks. for you uh, in that book and project. So what would you have us read in between? Like, what are some of your favorite thrillers at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I probably should read more thrillers than I do. I feel like I read from sort of all different <laughs> kinds of categories, but well, it doesn't have um, to be a thriller. Yeah. Or yeah, book. just great books. Yeah. Just great books. So, well, two thrillers that I've read that are not out now, but they're out um, at the end of the summer. Um, I think one's out in the fall and they are excellent. One is no surprise, but the new book from Paula Hawkins, who wrote mm. the girl, girl on the train. Mm. She has a new book called A Slow Fire Burning. And I was lucky to read an early copy of it. It is excellent. So I would highly recommend that. It's out, I think, in August, I think at the end of August. So that's a great one. Um, another one I've read that I've loved that really focuses on this idea of motherhood as well and kind of the expectations of what it's going to be like is called Greenwich Park and it's by Catherine Faulkner. It's out mm. now in the UK, but it'll be out in North America um, soon. And it's about um, two women that meet in a prenatal class and one becomes kind of obsessed with the other. And so, and it, it's just, her writing is terrific and it's such a good premise and there's all these kind of secrets and twists that get revealed. So it's a great one. Um, but something you could buy now that I love that feels like a thriller, but it's more sort of literary fiction that I'm recommending to everybody. And I, I just think it's so good. It's called The First Day of Spring by Nancy Tucker. Okay. And some people have asked me like, what happens next for Violet? Like if you were gonna write a secret what, or a sequel, what would Violet's life be like? 
And I feel like this book is a great example of what Violet's life would be like. So I, I, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. about, yes, it's about a, a girl. Um, it's actually told from multiple perspectives, one um, from the voice of a childhood, and then you get the voice of that woman later on in her life. And I'm not going to ruin anything by giving, th yeah. this is in the book blurb, so I won't be giving anything away by saying this, but it, it opens with this little girl um, killing another child. Oh, and the rest of the book unravels crazy. from there. And so it is dark and it is, it is so good. Yeah. It's okay, dark. Well, we'll have to read I that. To read it then. <laughs> right. That's up well, Megan's alley. All right. Yes. We'll Those three. That out. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, next buddy read with our group. Cause they asked about a sequel. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. yes. There's yeah. There's no sequel for the push, but I will instead read the first name. There you go. That's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, man, Ashley, it has been awesome to chat with you and love again. I love your book. I just, oh, thank you. I gave it, I rate in skulls instead of stars. So I gave it five stars <laughs> or five skulls. <laughs> I'll be listening it. to thank it again, you. especially while we were coming up with these questions. I'm like, Megan, I have to read this book again soon. Yeah. Yeah. And really this will definitely so be a book that remains on my um, bookshelves forever. Like I'm not going to donate it. I won't oh, no. give it away. <laughs> it's so nice to hear. Thank you. Thank you guys yeah. so much. This is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me and for all your support of the book. Oh, really wait. Um, I mean, people can easily find it, I'm sure. <laughs> but where can people find you, connect with you? And then yeah. where can they get your book? Yeah, sure. So um, Instagram is probably the best place. So at Ashley Audrain on Instagram or at Audrain on Twitter. Um, those are probably the, the best places I sort of post most there and we'll respond to all the messages there for sure. Um, so that's great. Thank you. And then really the book is available everywhere. So support yeah. your favorite retailer, your favorite independent retailer. Um, yeah, but yeah. Thank you so much, place. Ashley. Yeah. Thanks guys. You're awesome. We'll thank you. To talking to you well, later. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Have Bye. a good day. Thanks, thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.